I explained this uh, before Advent, but what we did was uh, begin a series in the Gospel of John uh, as our Advent series, and uh, we called that Hope for a Dark World. Uh, basically, the, during our uh, weeks leading up until Christmas and on Christmas Eve, uh, our focus was uh, the light and uh, God becoming flesh. But now we're kind of beginning the rest of the series, and uh, I thought I, I really need to rename the rest of the series, and so I am just simply calling it Believe. And here's why. In uh, John 20, verse 30, it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are uh, not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So it's believing that we might have life. And we're going to hit that from just a, a lot of different angles during this series. And, and it's basically going to be not new angles, the angles that Jesus uh, takes us in terms of uh, belief. The word translated uh, believe in uh, the Greek text is used uh, 218 times in the New Testament, but it's used 85 in the Gospel of John, which is almost half of uh, how many times it's used in the New Testament. The next closest book uh, in terms of the frequency of the use of that word is the book of Acts, and it's only used 36 times. So you can see how that really is the, the theme of this book, and we, what we're going to be doing is coping with the teaching of Jesus, primarily his teaching, some of his recording about what he did, but a lot of it are, are, is specifically uh, what he said. So as we continue this series, uh, the, and the passage today is... Uh, uh, fairly lengthy, and so what we're going to do is kind of chip away at it. I'm going to read you portions of it, and then we will deal with it. But I, I just want to uh, remind you where we were last, which would be, uh, that was on Christmas Eve. And this is what it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's bow together. Lord, that's really where we need to begin, and that is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The baseline of everything that really matters. And so, Lord, we pray that as we move into the rest of this book, that you would open up our hearts 
to hear you, to hear the truth that you have, you have preserved for us, to be listeners and to respond to that truth. And so, Lord, we look to you for this even as we are preparing to move toward your table here in a few minutes. And so will you prepare our, our hearts. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, if you were here during Advent, uh, you might remember, and, and I made kind of a big deal of it that, that day. Uh, some of you teased me about it. Uh, uh, in terms of talking about uh, the name I prefer for John the Baptist. And uh, I, I made just an outstanding argument that uh, he should instead be called John the Witness. And it's not that I have a problem with Baptists. That's, that's not the issue whatsoever. Uh, in fact, let's face it, if, if you do want to call him John the Baptist, I'm, I'm good with that. But it's not like we're calling him John the Southern Baptist or John the Reformed Baptist or any, anything like that. Uh, the, the, even with that, probably the more correct term would be John the Baptizer. Because the idea is what he was doing. And my argument was, yes, he baptized, but his purpose here was to bear witness that was the whole reason for him doing what he did. That was his calling. And so that's what we're going to see here. And we're going to, we're going to focus on three things in terms of uh, what his witness was pertaining to Christ. So look first in verse 15. It says this, <coughs> John bore witness about him and cried out, and remember, this is right on the heels of a saying that God became flesh and dwelt among us. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, here's what he is saying. He is, he's simply saying, This is the guy I've been talking about. We've been looking forward to the Messiah, and this is him. So he's getting more specific here, and he's going to talk some about his nature, and that's what we see next, where he talks about the nature of God that was revealed through Christ. Verse 16, <coughs> excuse me, for... From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And if nothing else, don't ever forget that. If you are a believer trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, whatever is going on in your life, you have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
This is a whole series right here in that one verse. This is, this is a, a summary of what we see in terms of uh, the, the Scripture uh, itself. That in the Old Testament, we, we have the law. It's not putting down the law. It's not saying the law is bad or anything like that. But what it's saying is that this law was given for a purpose. It was not an end in and of itself. So if anyone gets stuck on the law, you've got to come right to this verse and say, yes, the law had a a very important purpose, but the purpose was not so that, that we would focus on and trust the law or think that by keeping the law somehow uh, we will uh, then have a right relationship with God. The fact is that no one can perfectly keep the law, and that fact points us to our need for Christ. And, and that's what it's emphasizing here. So we have the law given through Moses. We can't keep the law. We're frustrated by that. We are not fulfilled by trying to keep the law, by focusing, let let me, rather than say the law, let's just say by focusing on our own works or our own ability to work our way to God or work our way to heaven, that will, all that will do will just bring an absolute moral dilemma that will just cause us, most people ultimately, just to give up. Say, I can't get there. And so, what that should do, though, is say, so there's, if God wants to have a relationship with us, there's got to be another way, and it's not just the law, but this law. Thank God for the law, because it points out that I need Christ. There's, There's no way for me to get to God. By the way, there is no way, and that's why he came to us. You see how it fits together here? So uh, we need grace, we need truth, and the only place to find those is in Christ, not in the law, not in the world we live in. And then the third witness we see in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is uh, at the Father's side He has made him known. So John is saying that Christ is absolutely unique. And the Jews didn't need to be convinced of the God in terms of how absolutely other than us God is. They understood. They understood that at best, maybe we can see the 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 backside of God as he passes by. At best, maybe we can see shadows of what this Messiah will be in the future. At best, maybe we can see representations through the tabernacle, through the burning bush, through even the law. But none of those are actually seeing him. 
And now John is saying, until now. But God became flesh and dwelt among us. And I'm pointing to that one. Now, what we are seeing basically are, are the first two days of Jesus' ministry. It's hard to imagine that, but in, in a sense that's what we're seeing, at least as it's recorded in John. Uh, so take a look at uh, what this, this first big encounter in terms of uh, with, with John, the witness to the religious. And uh, let, let's pick up with verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who, who are you? He confessed uh, uh, and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who, who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they'd been sent from the Pharisees. You see, at least in my version, that's in parentheses. I think that's proper to uh, assume that that's kind of a, 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 a side note. They'd been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. By the way, notice when, when there's phrases like that in there, what you see is they're, they're tying it to actual times and places. He's saying this, this actually happened. Here's where it happened for your information. Doesn't always do that, but many times we see that just by way of uh, explanation. So when this kind of an encounter takes place, is recorded, as we go through the Gospel of John, I want us always to, to ask the question, so why did God preserve that for us? Because we know that not everything that happened, not every encounter uh, around that time was recorded in, in the Word of God. So, why that? Why is this here for us to study today? Why did we need to know about that encounter between John the Baptist and the religious of the day. First, I want you to picture it. You have John the Baptist and, uh, whoops, see you didn't even correct me there. Uh, we, have, we have John uh, the witness, uh, but 
what we know about him was that he was this rugged, outdoors, sunburnt, probably leather-skinned, bugs in the teeth, <laughs> stuff in his beard kind of guy. That's how I picture him anyway. Now, picture him and then some of the religious people of the day come. I'm not going to describe them because um, I, I don't want to be lumped in that kind of a category. And whenever you see them on TV, it's, you know, like Father Mulcahy and uh, they, they always make us wimpy. Let's put it that way, uh, when, they're, when they're doing clergymen and, and so on. But at least we can say these were representatives that were, were sent, as we found out, from the Pharisees. So John reminds people of Elijah, and you have the religious guys. So... Here's maybe the question as we're trying to figure out why this is here. Why are the religious so interested in what John the Baptist was doing and, and who he was? And I think there's several possible ex explanations. Um, one question would be, could it have been that they were sincerely looking for the Messiah? Could it be that they, they knew the Word of God and that this was a regular thing whenever they would hear about somebody having followers and, and so on, that they would send representatives and, and just find out? Because if it was the Messiah, they sincerely wanted to go and, and worship Him and follow Him and, uh, and, and so on. That would, that would make sense. In fact, if all we had was the exchange <coughs> here in John, it looks like a very civil exchange, doesn't it? In terms of them just asking questions that, depending on the tone of voice, could have been asked very respectfully and so on. But then we look over in the other Gospels. And we see, for instance, in, in Matthew 3... It says this, verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to, to flee from the wrath to come? He's calling them a bunch of snakes. Um, not exactly a civil exchange. Uh, you bunch of snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So he's confronting them and saying, you're, you're saying one thing, you're doing another. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. See, evidently they, were, they, they had pride and they were saying, well, you know, we're the ones that have Abraham. And he said, God doesn't need you. Don't kid yourselves. 
Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, if that was the kind of encounter that, that it was, it would seem to me that at striking at, at, at that very uh, theory that says they were sincerely seeking the Messiah. So what could be some other reasons why why they came, why they uh, talked to John uh, the witness. Another option, I have to wonder if the religious might have been concerned about their loss of power. Let's think about that. That seems to be uh, uh, one of the concerns the religious had when Jesus began to have followers. They were losing position Here in John was a fearless preacher that called on people for repentance, but he didn't include the religious establishment in terms of them being absolutely necessary. What's that remind you of? Maybe the Reformation? Do you remember? Martin Luther? How threatened the church was by him? Because he was preaching from the Word of God and he was saying, it's not about the church that you need or their authority. It's about Christ. And so they were threatened. I have to wonder if the Pharisees and the Sadducees perhaps were threatened as well. We're not even going to be needed if too many people follow him. Another possibility, and I think it could be a combination of several of these, is that the religious love the law and are suspicious of grace. Those that are religious love the law and are suspicious of grace. And some who might sincerely want to have a relationship with God, they may not say, I I want you to preach on the the Ten Commandments or that law every week. But there are always those that would say, just tell us what we're supposed to do. Because it's easier. Now that doesn't mean those folks will be more obedient, but they don't have to grapple with what God is saying and what it means in their lives. And perhaps that's what's going on here. John verse... uh, 26, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands uh, one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. What John ultimately did was to point them to Christ. He basically indicated, you all are bent out of shape about me. You don't need to worry about me. There's one coming that is who you and I have been looking for. 
And he kept pointing to Christ. Now it's interesting. Some could look at this as like a temptation for John. Because what if John, we, we, we never really address it from this angle, but what if at this point John got ambitious and he saw the religious people are coming to him? What if he did want to think too much of himself? He could have said, you're absolutely right, I'm the prophet, or yes, I'm Elijah, come back, or yes, I'm the Messiah. And so in essence, you have this, could we call it the temptation of John, which was shortly before the temptation of Christ in the wilderness over some of the same issues. But he passed the test. Matthew Henry said this, John was more industrious to do good than to appear great. Those speak best for Christ that say least of themselves, whose own works praise them, not their own lips. And that was what John the witness did. Now, let's look at day two and see his witness to the world. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So here we see Jesus described by John the witness as basically the fulfillment of all of those things in the Old Testament that were pointing toward the Messiah. Remember in John 1.14, he dwelt among us, he tabernacled among us, and how the tabernacle pointed forward to the Messiah that was coming. And here he's basically saying, this is the Lamb of God. This would have been near Passover, by the way. But not only was this near Passover, it was at Passover when he went to the cross. So here is John identifying him and saying, you know what, we, we always celebrate the Lamb of God. And he said, look, this is the Lamb of God. Now in saying that, why, why would he say that? Well, the lamb in the, the Passover had to be a lamb without blemish. And we see Jesus Christ as that perfect one with no sin, without blemish. We see uh, the lamb that is sacrificed, and this take place every year at every Passover, and it had to happen again and again. And from one Passover, you would look toward the next Passover and say, we will sacrifice a lamb again. But with Christ, here's the difference. Christ, our Passover lamb, who is sacrificed once for all. 
and there was never again a need for a lamb to be slaughtered. Because, as John said, this is the one that takes away the sin of the world. His death provided for sin. Look at verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed in Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Now let's take a, a, just a tiny side road here. But we can't ignore this from a theological perspective because it is, it's here and in, in this same record in the other Gospels that we see the doctrine of the Trinity more revealed than it is anywhere in the Old Testament. We see the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit interacting with one another all in, in one place one person, clearly uh, also um, one God in three persons as they interact. So we see the Spirit like a dove, the Son being baptized. And then the other three Gospels record that there was a voice that came from heaven that said this, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So there's the Father. So mark this, mark uh, uh, you know, the other places. By the way, if you're doing the SAPC reading challenge, you, you read that in Matthew 3 this week where it said that specifically. Verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, why in the world does He say, I myself did not know Him? They were related. Their mothers were cousins. Makes them cousins. What he's saying is, you know what? Up until this point, I, I, I didn't know him as the Messiah. But the Holy Spirit revealed that to me. God's Spirit revealed that truth to me. So here's the question for all of us and particularly as we approach this table, to what degree and in what way do we know Jesus? Everyone in this room, because you were here today, even if this is your first time ever to walk into this or any other church, everyone in here has at least a head knowledge about Jesus. You've heard today about who he is and what he did on the cross. So you've got a head knowledge. 
but that's not sufficient. Knowing him as Messiah is what's necessary. Trusting in him alone for your salvation, that's what's necessary in order to have a saving relationship with him. So, what do you do if you want to know him as your Messiah, as your Lord and Savior? Well, first of all, you may even be having the question, well, how do I know this is, this is from God? Then maybe I'm just conjuring this up. Well, like John, if you have a desire to know Christ... There's only one reason you have that desire. And that's because the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. We don't naturally conjure that up. In fact, we'll see later in John, in John 3, it gives us our natural estate and, and that is that we see the light and we hate it. So if you're saying... I want this Jesus, that's, that's why I'm here today. But I don't know if I have him or not. Be assured that if you have that want, that it's a stirring from God's Holy Spirit. So here's what you, you do. I'm not going to tell you to repeat after me. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. There is no one magic prayer. Don't think there is. But we're going to bow in a moment. And I'm, I'm going to uh, give thoughts that if, if they express what's in your heart, I want you to put them in your words silently and, and talk to the Father about it. Let's bow together. If this is your desire that you want a personal relationship with Christ, tell him you want that. Tell him you know you can't save yourself, but you believe that the work of Christ on the cross was enough to save you from your sin. Ask Him forgiveness based on what Jesus did for you on the cross. And thank Him for what He did for you. Lord, I rejoice that that is your great offer. Freely given. It is, in a few words, grace upon grace because we can't possibly deserve to have a relationship with you. And so, Lord, 
Will you confirm whatever prayers have been made from this room? Confirm it in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.